The biggest thing about avoiding the big inning is being in the present moment. You can't hang on to two, three, four pitches before. You can't be two, three, four pitches ahead. You're never in the present moment. And that's typically what happens in those big innings is we're not present. It's time for baseball from Hamburg, Germany. This is the Elf Academy podcast. And these are your hosts, David and Martin. Moin Moin und herzlich willkommen äh, zur dritten Episode von der Elba Akademie. Wieder mit dabei Martin Schulze. Moin Martin. Ja, hi David. Ja, heute in der dritten Episode ist der gleiche Gast wie aus der letzten Episode und zwar der Pitching Coach Matt Keplinger von der University of San Francisco. Und ja, im Nachgespräch vom ersten Part ist mir aufgefallen, dass dir das Interview aber mindestens genauso gut gefallen hat wie mir. Ja, auf jeden Fall. Also Matt ist einfach, der ist, ein, der ist halt ein super Kelly-Typ. Ne? Also, ähm, der hatte total. unfassbar viele Insights für Spieler und Coaches. Insofern war das total spannend und alles, wie gesagt, alles, was mit San Francisco zu tun hat, ist sowieso irgendwie mir nah. Ähm, ja, und äh, dann kommt jetzt Teil 2 des Interviews. Da werden wir so ein bisschen über Training, Pitching und College Recruiting mit ihm sprechen ähm, und ich würde sagen, ohne noch viel weiter zu quatschen, steigen wir direkt in das, äh, in das Interview ein. Dieser Podcast wird präsentiert von Grünhöcker, euer Fachgeschäft für frisches Obst und Gemüse. Esst auch ihr so frisch und gesund wie die Profis von morgen. Grünhöcker, Weizstraße 17 in Hamburg-Ortmarschen. Hey Matt, uh, welcome back to part two of our interview and yeah, let's jump right into it. When it comes to pitch selection, is it better to go with your best stuff or to attack the hitter's weakness? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a combination of both. I'm I'm definitely going to go with our pitcher's strengths when in doubt. Now, we have much more in-depth scouting reports uh, at the Division One level than I had in the past. Uh, we have this program called Synergy, where... You can go watch every single hitter's at-bat, and you can filter it through counts and, and all kinds of stuff. So you are able to have a pretty good game plan going in. Now, if you can expose a hitter's weakness, then I hope our guys have the ability to, to execute that. Uh, but when it comes down to it, it always comes down to, to attacking hitters with your best stuff. And whatever pitch you're most committed to, whatever you have the most conviction with, then that's the right pitch. If the scouting report says you need to throw a 2-1 slider, but you're not committed to it, then we're going to go get to what you are most committed to throwing. And I give our, our pitchers free reign to shake whenever they want. Um, because, again, it, it's all about being the most committed to, to what you want to throw. And you call the pitchers uh, to the catcher. The catcher is uh, relating it to the to the to the, the catcher to the pitcher. Yeah, so I, I do call the game, but it's it's a very collaborative environment. Um, I mean, so like for for one, that's why we work so much in the fall, and we have those scrimmages just to build that relationship. And uh, when it comes down to in season, like I said, like the the kids have a lot on their plate in regards to schoolwork, um, just the, the daily expectations. 
So they're not able to watch the videos and the scattering reports that, that I'm putting together. So that's why it's collaborative. Um, in between innings, I, I, I sit down with the catcher and the pitchers and, and we go over it and, and make in-game adjustments as we need. Uh, and if there's the right combination of guy on the mound and catcher, I'll definitely cut them loose and let them, let them call it. But that, that's, that's earned over time. Okay. And I know you guys uh, change the picture a little bit more often than we do here because right. I think you just have a little bit pretty staff is just a little bit bigger. But yeah. um, how do you approach the order when you go the third time through the order? How do you approach it? Yeah, to your point, that's pretty rare these days to even have a starting pitcher go the third time through an order just because that's when batting averages tend to spike. But That's, that's part of the chess match right there. When you get to that stage of it, it's, it's going to be a matter of if you're obviously having some success, if you are getting to that third time through the order. Yeah. So at that point, it really comes down to, are the hitters making adjustments? If they're not making any adjustments, then keep doing what you're doing. But typically you're going to see guys make adjustments, but you will really go with the strength more than anything at that point, because you're probably running a little bit low in regards to what you have left in the tank, how many pitches you, you have left. Um, so that, that's just coming down to that. That's where the heart comes in and you got to trust your pitcher that third time through the order. And then really just as a coach, if you're noticing any adjustments, the offense is making, like maybe they're getting a little bit more aggressive early in the counts Maybe they're starting to take more pitches because they're trying to wear down your pitch count. Um, so that's really where the communication comes in, where you, I think that's where you have to really let the pitcher feel it out and let them have some savvy in the game. But at the same time, from the coaching standpoint, communicate any adjustments that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Speaking of pitch count there, do you have like a hard limit on pitch count? Like, For your no, pitchers? not really. I mean, that, that magic number is typically a hundred. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's more about like, were there a lot of stress innings? Because sometimes you can throw 70 pitches, but they're all stress innings. So that those versus maybe a, a hundred and ten of easy innings. Hmm. So like that, that's probably what it comes down to more is, I mean, did you have, have you had 30 pitch innings in there? Are there quick sits on the bench? Have you sat for a really long time? So it just depends. It's all individual. Some guys just are stronger. Some guys get stronger as the game goes. So you're going to let them, let them get a lather and, and let, let it, let it ride a little bit. But I mean, I, it, it just kind of comes down to like, are you making your pitches or are you not? So if you're still making your pitches at 110, 120, then keep making them. Right. But if, If you're not, then you're not, and we'll pass it on to the next guy. And they do have six days of rest. A starter, yeah. Hopefully the relievers don't throw 100. I think then you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just one question, uh, what I was thinking about. It's like, um, so the pitcher is struggling. You think he's losing it. Is it to 100% your decision that you take him out? Or is also the head coach giving you a sign like, hey, Matt, what do you think? Should we take him out or how's the communication? Yeah, no, we, we, we definitely work together. So 
on Friday before the series, we have a scouting report meeting as a coaching staff and they kind of what our plan is for the weekends. Um, I mean, obviously you take it game by game, but um, in your mind, before you go into the game, you already have a plan for as many situations as possible. So like basically like a, a win, a save, if you're up a bunch, if you're up 10 runs, if you're down 10 runs, if you're up five, if you're down five, all those different scenarios and, and what pitchers you think fit each scenario. Now, in game, it's it's collaborative. Um, I'm very focused on calling the pitches. Mm-hmm. And if I see something like, hey, we need to get somebody up, then then the head coach will kind of make sure we get the right guys down in the bullpen. Um, but we, we work together on that. Obviously it's his final say he's the head coach. Uh, but we are definitely working hand in hand in that decision-making process. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, but, um, still wondering though, um, is there a big advice or, or also how you do it with your younger guys, especially with the younger guys, um, to control the running game? I mean, obviously number one priority is to throw strikes. Right. But, um, yeah, as you know, especially in the younger level, they like to steal bases, and it's uh, tough to have your, your routine, your stop, but also change it here and there. Is there any specific advice you can give, especially for the younger guys? Yeah, so, I mean, it's just like hitting, or just like from, from, as, from a pitching standpoint to a hitter, your job is to upset rhythm and timing. Yeah. And that's the same same idea that you want to apply to the running game is you want to upset rhythm and timing for the base runner because a base runner has to have rhythm to steal a base. So your job is to change your tempos, change your rhythm, and have multiple pickoff moves. But I think the, the, biggest, the biggest key is long holds. Long holds. Hold yeah. the baseball. Mm-hmm. And – it's also part of, of doing your homework there. Like typically there's only going to be probably two guys in every lineup that are actually base stealing threats. Mm-hmm. So you have to know who those guys are and then don't let them steal bags. So um, that gets back to, the, back to the long holds where let the, the, the longer you can hold it, the guy, the base runner will tell you if he wants to run or not because he's going to start to lean and you want to let those feet just get cemented into the ground. You want to kill momentum. Um, so I think that's a big, big deal right there. There was a, a really cool video of, of Scherzer maybe two years ago talking about in his bullpens, he'll hold the baseball for 10 seconds, if not longer, just to practice what that feels like. To hold your set for 10 seconds and then mentally be able to stay focused and make your pitch. After that, that's a great practice for younger guys in their bullpens is put the stopwatch on them and then do it for five seconds. Mm. Do it for 10 seconds. Do it for two seconds. So they get an idea of what that's like to be able to maintain that focus and just get comfortable with holding the baseball. Now, obviously, like you're not going to hold it for 10 seconds in a game, but you want to make the practice you want to make the practice environment harder than the game environment. But and then also understanding counts, like there's you know action counts are typically one o one one. So being able to pick during those times, 
Um, so there's just, you know, situational awareness has so much to do with controlling the running game by identifying who the base dealers are and what the action counts typically are. Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and as you also know, there's always the one big inning that you have to be prepared of or you shouldn't let the big inning allow. Is there anything um, you have an advice for? to prevent the big inning that you hopefully win the ball game. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a big part of the mental game. So we talk about having, uh, having a flusher and having a focal point. So when you start to, to feel things get a little bit out of control, right before that big inning blows up on you, you should be able to have a focal point in every single field that you go play at, whether it be something on the scoreboard, a banner out on the fence, uh, a flagpole, whatever it is, you're able to step off, go rub up the baseball uh, and use that focal point to just recenter yourself and get back into the present moment. The biggest thing about avoiding the big inning is being in the present moment. You can't hang on to two, three, four pitches before. You can't be two, three, four pitches ahead. You're never in the present moment. And that's typically what happens in those big innings is we're not present. So you have to use those focal points to give yourself an opportunity to get back into the present moment. And then you can also have a flusher, whether it be use the rosin bag. Maybe you take your hat off or you physically wipe the slate clean with your feet on the rubber Just some sort of flush that gets you back present. So focal points and flushers really help. And then I think that's also from a coaching standpoint, go take your mound visits, man. Like get out there, send the catcher out to talk, break up that momentum, maybe tell a little joke just to get the, get the pitcher to relax. And again, just talk about a little game plan, but just more so to catch your breath um, I think that's that's a big one from a coaching standpoint is is go use your mound visits. What's your favorite joke to tell? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I usually like to just go out there and ask them like, hey, man, like, what are you doing after the game tonight? Get them thinking about something else. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so another question for our um, pitchers. Um, is there do you have any recommended like pregame routine for the pitchers or how can a pitcher tell if the uh, pregame routine that he is working with is effective? Well, if you're having success, it's probably effective. <laughs> Good uh, answer. Yes. Um, anyway, so uh, that's, it's learned over time um, in regards to your, your pregame routine. Our warm up is pretty structured um, but every guy's going to be a little bit individualized. Um, one thing that we do a lot of is journaling. So we start that process early in the fall and, and hopefully it carries on throughout the spring. So once things are on paper, it's, it's tangible. You can always go back and refer to that. So if there's a big breakthrough moment in a bullpen, something that happened in the game, whether it was good or bad, Journal it, write it down. And we gave every player on the team a journal this year. It's funny. And um, we're working on it. We gave the kids the yeah. paper, but sometimes not 
yeah same thing like i i I battle that same thing too and even with our our freshmen don't ride as much as our juniors and seniors just because they haven't learned the value in it of how important it truly is but i i can't stress the importance on journaling and that that's all comes down to mastering your process right there so again like in the fall well everybody's kind of going through a similar routine just so just like like we're doing with our weighted ball program like we're building a base and then from there you earn your freedom to go go explore different different processes but it's all about mastering your own process and using the journal really helps with that in regards to warming up before a game i mean all you're doing is getting your feel down there like i i like to i like for the guys to long toss and pull down and then we come into the bullpen and I don't know, 20, 25 pitches. Uh, but I definitely like to have a stand-in hitter, mm. whether it be another pitcher or a hitter, actually, that just wants to come in and see some live live pitches. So have right-handed hitters, have left-handed hitters, maybe throw a batter. Um, some guys like to take a seat. They like to get all their stuff hot and then take a seat. And then you get back up and you throw that first first batter of the game in the bullpen. Um, but you try to make it as game-like as possible down there, but also like understand like you're just getting your feel. You want to spin a couple breaking balls, throw fastballs to both sides of the plate, up and down, a couple change-ups, and then, then you're ready to go, man. It's your, your preparation throughout the entire week has led up to the game day. So the bullpen yeah. is just something down there to get your feel. And that's that's about it. That's an interesting uh, uh, statement, actually. It's it's the, you know if you're prepared, if your preparation throughout the well the, the off season all the way you know through the week leading up to the game, if you're prepared, you're not surprised by anything. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's part of that hard work that that we try to establish from day one, right there. Yeah. I mean, by the time you get to game day, you it's about trusting your preparation, and it was it was kind of interesting for us. Uh, we got off to a, a very, very poor start to the season. And like, honestly, like what, what I rooted it to was we went out there and we did not trust our work. We didn't trust the preparation that we put into it. And we tried to go out there and be Superman. Mm-hmm. So now we were competing as an individual that, that we didn't prepare with. Like if we're squeezing it, trying to just do too much, like that's not the same person that prepared a certain way for the six months leading up to the season. So again, like that is why you work hard. You have to trust your work, trust your stuff. Um, and then by the time when the game starts, that's the fun part. Yeah, and that's and that's both both um, physically and mentally, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, to play at your uh, university, you have to be recruited. So the question is obviously, what are you looking for when you scout pitchers, uh, when you recruit pitchers? I mean, that's there's there's a lot that you're looking for. Um, I mean, first and foremost, like I, I'm looking for a warrior. Like I want a competitor, man. Like somebody that's that's a little bit nasty up there. And then from there, you kind of just go down a checklist of, of different things that you're looking for, like projectability in the body. Are there long levers? Is there loose arm, body control? Like, can you just see overall athleticism, things that are going to project in the future? Is the, is the delivery repeatable? 
Is it safe and healthy? Is there deception? Um, then you're obviously looking at just the raw stuff, right? Like, can you consistently get through the strike zone with the fastball? Do you have some feel for spin? Then I look at the breaking ball velocity in a younger player. If the break, if you can really spin the breaking ball, if there's good velocity on the breaking ball, that's going to translate to fastball velocity later. And then I'm also looking for like a tool. Like, do you have, do you possess a true put away pitch? Is there some analytical outlier? Like if we were to put you on a rap soto, is there something that is a punch out mm. pitch? Or do you have a pitch that you can throw at any time that you can go to in any count? Then I also look for swing and miss and three ball counts. So like if I'm out there, if, if I'm going to go recruit a starting pitcher, I track how many times he generates a swing and a miss. So like basically the hitter is telling me how good the pitcher stuff is. And then three ball counts. Like, can you avoid three ball counts? And are you, are you, can you put hitters away? And then I'm also looking at just like your baseball IQ. Like, do you have some savvy, some situational awareness? Can you control the running game? How do you feel your position? Are you using the mental game? Like you have a process and a routine. So like I'm watching you go through your warm-up. If things, you know, if the shortstop makes two errors, like how are you handling yourself out there? Are you breaking down? Are you throwing tantrums? So again, uh, we look for all of that. And then if you start to pass those tests in terms of the physical, are you a good student? Yeah, see, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> Can you get into school? I mean, that's honestly where we start, right? So that's the first thing we find out is we get their transcripts. We talk to their high school coach or their travel ball coach and find out what their grades are. Because if you don't have a certain GPA, then we can just cross you all off the list yeah. right away. And now we're not even now, now, now we're not even going to the game. USF is very expensive. So do you fit the demographic of are you, for one, like, are you going to get into school? Are you going to get some academic scholarship? Obviously, we, we would probably be providing some athletic scholarship, but that still leaves a big chunk of money most mm. of the time. So um, economically, is it a fit? And then we get you. So as we start to figure out all of those things, then we get you on campus and we spend a, spend some time together. And just figure out you as a person, how you interact with your mom and dad if they're with you. Spend time with our players and, like, they'll give us some feedback on them as a, as a person. Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into it because if we're going to give you uh, an athletic scholarship, that's guaranteed for four years. So if we're going to invest maybe, a, like, the biggest scholarship we're going to give you is we're going to pay for your tuition, which – over time, so USF is $70,000 a year to go to school. Mm -hmm. 70. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so if we're going to guarantee you tuition over the next four years, we're investing a quarter of a million dollars in you when it's all said and done. So we, we try to do our homework and make sure that, that, that that's somebody that's going to benefit from that and as a good fit in the program that's going to leave the program better like did they make this program better over three to four years but 
I have another question for that. Is, um, so I guess when you how often do you see a guy before you invite him? Is it only once and you have to say, yes, he's worth it to invite the, the, the player to your campus? Or is it also that you watch a player like three, four times um, I mean, before it, you invite him? It, uh, again, it, it depends. Um... I think if somebody throws 94, you don't have to watch him a second. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So if, if, if there's some extreme talent there where you just know that they're going to get it done on the field, then you, you, you don't waste much time. You, you get them over because recruiting is yeah. so competitive. Um, you're not the only school talking to that kid. Um, somebody that maybe you are – thinking about just giving a roster spot where there's no athletic scholarship or you're thinking about maybe a smaller scholarship, you'll watch a couple times. And, and there's, there's a lot of online video. So you, you get to watch through that as well. And yeah, you know, like I said, it's, it just depends. But for me, like, I'd like to see you more than once. There's no and, doubt. And about when that. do you start looking at kids like the last year of high school or do you even start tracking them before? How does that work? Uh, before it's nowadays, it's, it's kind of ridiculous how early the recruiting process starts. Like I, I don't agree with how early kids are committing to schools. And I, that, that's another reason why USF was such a good fit for me is because we all have the same philosophy on waiting a little bit longer. So for me, I like to see kids like I, I won't start recruiting a kid any earlier than his junior year of high school. No. And then by the time they're seniors is when when we when we'd like to get really aggressive and and try to try to get them to commit. But there's a lot of programs out there that are committing that are recruiting and committing kids in middle school, freshmen, sophomores, really? like that that's just too early. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like the schools are committing to them as well? Verbal commitments. So you cannot sign your national letter of intent uh, until your senior year. So there's, there's a lot of programs out there that get, get kids to verbally commit as freshmen and sophomores. And then if they don't progress and get better, they, they will never have a, an NLI uh, wow. okay. to sign. But – they will hang on to that kid as long as they can to prevent another right. school from right. recruiting them and then potentially cut them loose yeah. as a senior, which is not, not very true. ethical. And how hard does a kid have to throw to be interesting for you? I mean, there's a lot of other things that he also has to throw strikes and stuff, but when does a kid become interesting for you? Uh, I mean, 85 is kind of like that. That's the baseline number. Like, you got to be able to at least sit 85, but like for me, like that, that's the minimum, um, as a senior. But again, like if you can spin the breaking ball at 75 to yeah. 80, then that's yeah. like, you're going to throw harder. Like yeah. again, or are you 85, but you're six foot three, you have really long arms and you've never touched a weight in your life. Okay. Well that 85 is going to be 90 in a year. So that's where the projectability and the body and just learning arm actions comes into play. But I, I'd set that number at, at 85 as like, okay, now we're working with something here. All right. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, so we already talked about um, college 
costs. Obviously, there's different kinds of colleges that cost different amounts of money. I think USF is pretty up there, isn't it? Um, yes. And then maybe we need to explain to the kids from Germany. So you were the, the, the Delta College is a junior college. How can you explain this quickly, like the difference to USF, for example? Yeah. So junior college um, is a is a two year college where you're going to spend your freshman and sophomore year there, um, and and then you transition to the four year university. Junior college is phenomenal because you you're on the field more, you get to practice more, uh, you really develop. And again, like you cannot go wrong going to a junior college Mm. if you ask me, because you're working on getting stronger, developing on the field and you're maturing. So, and it's a fraction of the costs. Now, when you're, when you're coming, so California, unfortunately does not have any scholarships at junior college level, but across the country Mm -hmm. they do. So like Arizona, um, almost anywhere else in the country offers scholarships. So there, there is that opportunity, but typically it's just, it, it's a, it's a fraction of the cost. So if you're a California resident and you went to Delta college, you're only paying $48 a unit. So you're going to, you're only going to spend a, a couple thousand dollars a year on your college, which is, is very right. cheap considering. And then to go to USF, if that's a private university. Now there's also state universities, like for example, like we said earlier, Sacramento State, where that tuition is somewhere between twenty-five and thirty-five thousand dollars a year, which is you know yeah. less than half of a private institution. So there's so many different avenues to to take, but um, junior college is just outstanding because it opens up so many opportunities where you can end up anywhere in the country. Um, like, for example, last year at Delta, I mean, we were a, a very good program, nationally ranked at times number one in the country. We moved on 20 players to four-year schools, 18 Division One transfers, and we had a couple guys get drafted. Um, that's the other difference. At a junior college, you can get drafted after your freshman year. At a Division One program, you cannot get drafted until your junior year or you have to be 21 years old. So like last year at Delta, we had guys go literally everywhere, all over the country. We had players go to Texas Tech, LSU, Houston, Baylor. And then obviously guys staying home, like staying more local, going to UC Irvine, Long Beach State. I mean, you and, name it. And these are all, all over kids the that place. had they gone to a four-year college, they wouldn't have played as much because of the – the uh, the older or um, the senior level kids athletes um, that get more playing time. Um, well, maybe they just didn't have. Maybe they weren't getting recruited by the like the school of their mm. dreams, if you will. Like maybe it was like a Division two program that was recruiting them, or just not the right fit, or no scholarship, um, or maybe just right. academically they weren't ready to go anywhere. So they had to come to a junior college just to get their grades right. Um, And then they performed well and and good things happened. And so it's basically a stepping stone then, uh, you know, to get to a four-year college. So we talked. Correct. Go ahead. And it's it's, it's no, uh, 
it's no slouch in competition. I mean, California junior college baseball is very competitive. Yeah. Um, so we talked about scholarships a little bit. Um, can you go into a little more details what options uh, kids have? We're obviously now the kids that are listening to this, they're going to be non-U.S. residents. And um, for us here, education is more or less free. So, you know, parents are not prepared to spend three, 200, $300, $400,000 on, um, on college education. So, you know, if someone wants to go, it's, um, scholarships are important. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So international students, it's different at every institution you, you would potentially go to. Um, but just the way baseball works at the division one level, you have 11.7 scholarships to divide up between 27 players and you can have a maximum of a 35 man roster. So there's guys on your roster that are on no act, no athletic aid whatsoever. Right. Okay. So now if you, within that 11.7 scholarships, you, if you give somebody an athletic scholarship, it has to be minimum 25% of the cost of tuition. So now what you're doing is you're pairing up packages. So what we're looking for are high academic kids that potentially qualify for academic aid. So the most academic aid somebody can get at our school is $25,000. So if they have great grades and test scores, they could get you know, potentially $25,000 Plus, if we gave them a 50% athletic package, now that's going to cover the cost of tuition. So now they're just paying for their housing and like their room and board, essentially. So we're trying to put together that pie, right? We have this puzzle of 11.7 with 27 guys plus their academic money. And then we're just constantly shuffling that around, trying to put together like the best, the best way to use that money. Now, some guys will come in and they'll get no academic money. So if they're a really good player and they get into school, but they don't qualify for any academic money, then we'll, we'll give them more athletic money, but it has to all fit within those guidelines of that 11.7 and then the 27 guys on the team. So it's, it's interesting compared to a sport like football, they have 85 scholarships, but football is a big, big money generating sport yeah. baseball is, is not yeah. so true um yeah that, that's really interesting so basically the message is kids go to school and work hard in school it's going to make your life easier if you want to go to college absolutely absolutely anyway you can and, and every school in the country is going to try to offer as much academic aid as possible so the better student you are not only are you helping your family but you're also helping your, your, your team because now you're able to save some of that athletic money to maybe give to somebody that's yeah. not a great student. So now again, like you're, you're helping not only your family, but you're going to help your team right. by being a better yeah. student. Yeah. Really interesting. So um, I'm moving along on that, in that process. So what do you recommend for kids um, from abroad? Um, you know, how do they get visibility into well you know to guys like you or to get recruited or to play at, at a college 
Um, I mean, for you guys, you, you will have to be extremely proactive on your end. So like, there's not, there's no division one program that has the money or the resources to ever go on a recruiting yeah. trip yeah. to Germany. But perfect game, perfect game is also, so, like would be once one, uh, opportunity, one chance, right? Yeah, for sure. If you can go to yeah. any type of showcase yeah. like that, absolutely. Um, but you have to really take advantage of video um and and uh basically like if you can have any sort of information to record your analytics like the, that's such a big part of the game now right so i mean on the basic level your fastball velocity or just your velocity in general um if you can have any sort of like exit velocity from hitters if you have access to any sort of like rap soto or TrackMan, anything like that, where you can right. capture data and then be able to put that into a video report and send it out, like that would be very beneficial. But it it it's, would be very, it'd have to be very proactive on your end. I personally think junior college mm. is the best way to go. Um, at Delta, we had we always had a lot of international players, uh, uh, players from Sweden, uh, Israel, Australia. Uh, Netherlands, right? Oh uh, uh, yeah, we did. We had one kid from the Netherlands, and I'll I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, there's not many foreign players that are ready I'm to sure. play Division One baseball. <laughs> not not so much on a talent level. I mean, there is some, but I, I think it's just more adapting to the culture and how much yeah. more we yeah, play. For sure. Yeah, your body that that, that your body is is just not ready for it. And then there's obviously going to be some mental breakdown on top of that, which is why I think junior college would be the best place to target your players to go to. For one, roster sizes are unlimited there. You can have as many guys on the team as you want. So most of the foreign players really need a red shirt year right. just to adapt to the culture and getting their bodies ready to go and being around the game at a much higher level. Just to explain level. that red shirt is you're, uh, you're there, you're practicing, but you're not playing games, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're you're going to go to school, you're going to practice, you're going to lift, you're going to do everything that you would as if you're on the active roster besides actually play in those games. But you play in the fall games, like you like you're you're doing everything and you like you're still a part of the team in the spring as well. But you're also you get to watch a lot of baseball too, so like you, there's yeah. there's a lot to benefit yeah, from. Um, so, do you think that, for example, a lot of kids do this here? They go um, and spend a year in the U.S. in high school. Is that something that would make sense to get visibility? Um, I suppose. I I mean I I don't know enough about that to to truly to, to, you know to to have as much insight on that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, you're going to obviously get exposed to more, uh, colleges in America if you're playing here in high school. Yeah, you get so. used to the culture and everything a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah. And it's, and I think high school yeah, is more sure. compared to German baseball. I mean, the, the, the timetable or the schedule they have, for example, at the university of San Francisco, I mean, it's, that's. Sounds like, yeah, it's it's like a professional club, you know, or like a professional organization. And here in Germany, some guys yeah, maybe practice twice, maybe three times a week with their team, and everything else they have to do by their own. And then they have a doubleheader on Saturday, and that's pretty much your week. 
and then imagine you come from Hamburg to San Francisco. And I mean, that's a different world that not, I mean, the language, the culture and everything. It's just also from having a little bit fun and being the best. You come right into the, the I don't know, the, the professional attitude. You have to have it right there. And uh, I think that's one of. Yeah. Absolutely. That's again, that, that's why junior college, yeah. I think, would be the, yeah. the best it sounds fit. Like it. Great, great insights. And, and academically, um, I will say, once the language barrier is overcome, um, junior college is honestly probably not that taxing in terms of what, what you guys mm. are probably already used to. I think your, your, your academic structure is just more. So junior college is a good way to overcome some of the language barrier. And like, typically like you're going to do just fine in the classroom compared to a, a four year university yeah. right out of the shoot. Yeah, true. All right. I don't have so many other questions to be quite honest. I mean, there's always, it's, but it's really interesting to, to okay. listen to. I think that it's, it's great to have you here. It's a, uh, it's great. Yeah. But, um, the kids have a lot of questions still. And, uh, we were asking our Academy kids to send some questions and um, yeah, we obviously okay. did the translation already to make it a little bit easier for you. I know you know a couple of. <laughs> We're not saying them in German, yes. <laughs> yeah, but he he knows a couple of. Okay. Maybe not, but maybe not not enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, not enough. Uh, so Dustin uh, from our academy is asking, what was your personal highlight in your baseball career? Ooh, that's tough. Um, honestly, just just playing at the Division One level. Um, overcame a lot of adversity my first couple years playing at uh, the University of Nevada. And then my last two years, I uh, led the team in appearances out of the bullpen. So um, being able to, to overcome a lot and then uh, fight through that to, to just get on the field at the Division mm -hmm. One level is a special thing. Okay, next question from Simon. Is that you, Martin, or should I? Uh, you're at it. Go for it. Okay. Um... What are the most important characteristics of a great baseball player? Um, let's see here. I think, uh, obviously, having discipline and hard work, knowing your process to be able to be a good player, a high baseball IQ, being a great teammate, and honestly, just, just never being satisfied with where you're at. Um, regardless of your skill level, never being satisfied, wanting to get better every single day to be the best player for yourself and for your team and, and being the best teammate you possibly right. can. Okay, so then we have a question from Pete. Um, he asks, since when do you play baseball and when did you start coaching? Or well, we did the coaching bit, but, but when did you start playing baseball? Uh, I started playing when I was three years old in T-ball and then obviously all the way through my career as a college athlete. And then um, my last year of playing was in Germany and 2012. And that was also kind of my, my introduction to coaching as well was around that time. Um, before I left to play in Germany, I was helping out at my high school. Um, because I needed a place to train and that kind of sparked my interest into coaching there. And then so much of, of our involvement in the community in, in Germany was, was geared around coaching. So that's really where I, I kind of started coaching. 
Um, and then Delta College was my, my first job in 2013. Uh, then Jan Mika from the from the White Farmers actually is asking uh, in which leagues have you played? Um, I mean, uh, so high school, then Division One, and Germany. Right. Then we have a and, question from uh, yeah, go ahead. Finn. He asks, "Why is baseball so important to you?" Oh man, um, I think number one, it's it's all about the relationships. It's baseball is it's it's a big family and it, it's definitely my family it's it's taken me to some unbelievable places around the world um and baseball's been been a vehicle for me to to see parts of the world to connect with people from all over the place um and then now as a as a coach like really to to help better kids lives and and give them opportunities to to really be the best versions of themselves and um, the relationships that you build along the way, it's there, there's, there's nothing better. It's like when, when you can see the light bulb and a kid's head go off again, like that, that's what keeps you coming back. And then obviously you get to compete. There's, there's not many um, outlets in life as individuals, right? Where you get to let that competitiveness out. Um, so from that standpoint, it just you, you can't beat it, man. It's you know, it's there. There's so many special components to it, but it all gets rooted back to relationships for me. Right. Then uh, Max, uh... and also along those lines, oh, yeah. Peter's asking, "What's your favorite baseball movie?" Ooh, I've got. I, I mean, that, that's a tough one. So, like as a kid, The Sandlot was always my favorite. Like, um, but then Bull Durham is up there and i also love a league of their own all right then uh yannick who won the european championship last year with the under 15 team with team germany uh, is asking which exercises do you have for pitchers that i can do at home yoga how did you prepare mentally for games as a player and how do you prepare your players mentally um i mean again i think it's so much of your preparation throughout the year and the off season um, where really I try to put, put you in the most uncomfortable situations possible. And um, again, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and then doing lots of journaling, how you, how you respond to uncomfortable situations. But if you can document things in your journal, that's how you're going to really help mentally prepare yourself when games start in the spring. I love spring. your answers. I hope, they, <laughs> I hope they all listen. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it's just, we keep saying, you know, sometimes just if somebody says it in English, it's worth more than when we say it. <laughs> so, so maybe coming from you, it has an impact. I, 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 I hope so. Uh, anyways, then we have um, Jacob um, who asks, which is the best drill to increase arm speed and velocity, if there is one. Um, arm speed and velocity. Again, I if I don't know if that there's necessarily one drill, but it really comes from body control and overall strength. So I think a lot of that's going to come from the weight room. Um, but aside from that, if you want to keep it just on the field, long toss. I absolutely love long toss. We stretch it out three to four days a week. 
so that's one thing that that you can do without any tools besides a baseball and go go let it eat and I, I'm, I'm a big believer in it um throw it as as far as you can um like on your way out with just enough to get it there like you want it to you want to stretch it out arc lots of air underneath and then pull down on the way in i'm sure you heard, you've heard of alan jagger you know the jagger bands he puts a lot of information out there um, that would be a great guy to follow on Twitter or just check out his website. But long toss can really promote such a healthy arm. Um, Bengt is asking, do you have a special advice for young players how to reach the limit of their potential? Um, I think, honestly, play as many sports as you can. Like, don't only play baseball. Be, a, be the best overall athlete you can possibly be. Um, and then when it... Basically, don't don't be afraid of competition, and don't be afraid of failure. Um, failure is a good thing. That's that's where we grow. So don't shy away from that. Get out of the comfort zone. And then we have the last um, kids question, and obviously the most important one. What are your favorite sunflower seeds? And that's Vale. That's Vale asking this question. So I've. I, I've played on a, a turf field now for the last <laughs> eight years. So we, it's, always, uh, it's a no sunflower seed environment when you're doing that. But um, I actually prefer the uh, low sodium David sunflower seeds. So that way, when you do get to chew them, you can chew more. That salt doesn't, uh, doesn't cut up your mouth. Okay, cool. Thanks. So that, that, that was the, the last question. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Before we come to the end, um, we, we were wondering what would be your um, pitching rotation if you would be an MLB Major League Baseball coach. And we would like to have five starting pitchers and three guys who are allowed to come out of the bullpen. They can be active players or former players. But who, who would be the eight guys in total? Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Max Scherzer, Timmy Lincecum, Justin Verlander. Then in my bullpen, got to have Rivera. I'm going to go John Smoltz. And then just to mix in another lefty, let's go with Josh Hader. Yeah, that's a line uh, good, good uh, pitching rotation, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty much it for today. Um, thank you for all the great answers. And um, I think, yeah, we... We learned a lot by just talking baseball here. And I think a lot of kids and other coaches in Germany uh, will learn a lot. And I think as far as I know you, they can always reach out to you and ask questions, uh, especially in, especially in this Absolutely. time. We all have a little bit more time to answer questions, I guess. Oh, yeah, man. This, this, this has been awesome, man. Thank, thank you guys for having me. And um, happy to, to come back and follow up with, uh, at any time. Um, You know, this is definitely uh, it's a breath of fresh air during some some challenging times right now and kind of brings you back to the game here a little bit. And just unbelievable perspective on on how lucky we all are to, to be around the game. And but, you know, obviously right now it's about about staying safe and staying healthy. And um, but, you know, this this has been awesome. Yeah, thank, so you. thank you. Yeah, guys. Thank you for me as well. This was really, really insightful. No, it was great. Thanks. All right, guys. Cool. Well, uh, anything you need, don't hesitate. Perfect. Thank you. See ya. All right. See you guys. Grünhöker.
Ihr Fachgeschäft für Obst, Gemüse, frische Säfte und Smoothies. Hamburgs beste Adresse für den probiotischen Kick. Ja, das äh, war das, war der zweite Part mit Matt Keplinger. Ähm, ja, ich fand wie im ersten Part äh, sehr, sehr viele interessante Sachen. Und ja, dass die Amis nicht immer alles besser machen, zeigt ja auch, dass sie mit den gleichen Sachen zu kämpfen haben, teilweise wie wir. Äh, der erste Punkt, den er öfters angesprochen hat, war das Journaling. Ähm, ja, das haben wir auch eingeführt hier mit der Akademie, dass die Jungs ihr eigenes Trainingsbuch haben und dieses Trainingsbuch pflegen sollen. Ähm, ja, das klappt ja durchwachsen bisher bei uns. Ähm, aber es geht ihm anscheinend beim College nicht äh, viel besser. Und man darf ja auch nicht vergessen, dass unsere Kids ein bisschen jünger sind. Aber ja, kleiner Tipp vielleicht an alle Spieler und Trainer. Ähm, so viel wie möglich immer niederschreiben vor und nach dem Training, ähm, damit man nicht immer wieder bei Null anfangen muss. Und man stellt sich auch schon mental gut aufs Training drauf ein, würde ich sagen. Ja, absolut. Also ich bin da ja auch ein absoluter Verfechter von. Und ich finde es spannend, dass dann solche Sachen ähm, validiert werden eben von anderen Leuten. Und man kann immer hoffen, dass wenn der große Matt Kaplinger das sagt und die Kids das hören, dass sie dann denken, hey, wenn der Matt das sagt, dann müssen wir das vielleicht auch wirklich machen. Ähm, ja, was ich sonst auch noch ganz spannend fand, war, das war, da ging es um das, äh, wie kriegt man seinen Pitcher dazu, eben nicht dieses Big Inning zu haben, äh, dass man, und das merken wir immer wieder, gerade so im, im Nachwuchs, im U12-Bereich, dass, dass es da, äh, dass es Momente gibt, in denen die Kids warum auch immer, ähm, anfangen auseinanderzufallen. So. Und dass man sich da, er sprach von diesem Focal Point, den man irgendwo auf dem Feld sich suchen soll und dadurch versucht, ähm, eben ja, im, in, der, in der Gegenwart zu sein. Nicht in den letzten drei Pitches und nicht in den nächsten drei Pitches, aber in dem Pitch, den man jetzt eben gerade vor sich hat. Das fand ich äh, ganz, ganz spannend. Ja, ich denke... Auch nicht, nicht so neu, aber auch immer wieder gut, dass, äh, ja, dass man da wirklich von, ich glaube, gerade du als Schülertrainer der Steelers, hast da ja mit dir auch viel zu tun, genau. ähm, dass die Kids noch irgendwie über drei Pitches danach denken oder sich schon die Hose machen, weil der Übernächste der Beste ist. Ähm, ja, aber so geht es auch den Jungs im College und auch den Jungs in der ersten Liga. Also auch immer mal wieder super, einfach mal drüber zu sprechen und andere, ja, andere Wörter darüber mal zu hören, andere Punkte, Aspekte ähm, fand ich auch gut und ähm, ja, zeigt auch, dass man wirklich äh, am jedem Level an, an den Kleinigkeiten arbeiten muss, die einfach ja. dann das Große ausmachen. Ja, absolut. Und wenn man jetzt mal überlegt, in der, unserer ersten Episode hat Simon Güring im Grunde genommen genau das Gleiche gesagt. Nicht? Ähm, Total. Dass du musst in der Gegenwart sein, dass egal was passiert ist, egal was passieren wird, du musst das, was jetzt vor dir ist, eben äh, bearbeiten. Ja. Und ähm, was ich auch wirklich klasse fand, war die ganze Geschichte mit dem Junior College. So bewusst war mir das zum Beispiel auch nicht genau. Man hätte sich so ein bisschen mit dem Thema College mal beschäftigt, aber nicht so sehr, ähm, wie, wie Matt da Eindrücke geben kann, dass vielleicht so ein Junior College auch deutlich besser ist erstmal für einen Europäer und somit ähm, und dann vielleicht noch auf, auf ein Division One College gehen kann oder so. Und dies auch noch deutlich günstiger ist. Also auch sehr interessant für alle Jungs, die vielleicht mal aufs College gehen wollen oder für Elternteile, die ihre Kinder aufs College schicken wollen. Es muss also nicht gerade mit 18 die University of San Francisco sein. Nee, genau. Und ähm, ja, das stimmt. Ähm, interessant dabei war dann aber auch wiederum, dass er sagt, naja, ab welcher äh, Geschwindigkeit, also Wurfgeschwindigkeit, ähm, fängst du an, dir jemanden aus der Highschool anzuschauen 
ob der interessant für dich im College ist. Und mindestens 85 Meilen ist halt auch schon mal eine Ansage. Ne? Ja, total. Was ich aber wirklich noch interessanter fand, so 80, 85, das war mir schon bewusst irgendwie, dass er aber auch darauf achtet, wie schnell dein Breaking-Pitch ist. Hm. Im, Im Rückblick oder im, im Vorausschauen ist das richtige Wort, vorausschauend ist, wie hoch kriege ich seinen Fastball, wenn sein Breaking-Pitch die und das Tempo hat. Also macht Sinn, aber habe ich auch noch nicht so oft gehört und äh, ist für uns vielleicht auch ganz interessant, das auch noch mehr ähm, in der Akademie mal mit der Raider ganz zu messen einfach. Das stimmt, ja. Und zu beobachten, ja. ne? Ja. ja, klar. Ja, und dann fand ich äh, die Kids-Fragen wirklich gut. Also die Jungs haben sich da echt ein paar richtig gute Fragen ausgesucht und er hat die auch klasse beantwortet. Und ja, wir können eigentlich nur äh, sagen, wenn ihr auch nochmal Fragen habt an unseren nächsten Interviewpartner, und zwar wird das der deutsche Nationalmannschaftstrainer sein, Steve Jansen. Ähm, ja, der wird zu Gast sein, wird auch Rede und Antwort stehen. Wir werden ihn auch wieder viele Sachen fragen. Er hat schon viele, viel Erfahrung gesammelt. War ja gerade mit der Nationalmannschaft auf der Europameisterschaft in Bonn. Und die Jungs waren ja schon in Arizona, aber sind ja dann ein bisschen früher nach Hause gekommen. Ähm, aber wenn ihr da Fragen an ihn habt, äh, gerne auch, äh, was sein Lieblingsbuch ist, welches Motto er coacht, könnt ihr uns gerne einfach eine Nachricht schreiben bei Instagram, bei Facebook, einfach Elbakademie. Äh, suchen und uns schreiben und wir werden die Fragen definitiv mit einfließen lassen. Ja, genau. Also das ist auch eine Folge, auf die ich mich total freue, aber ich, bis jetzt habe ich mich auch echt auf alle Folgen gefreut, die wir hier ja, gemacht haben. Ja, macht doch einfach Spaß. Ne? Ja, absolut. Gut, bevor wir beenden, wie immer einmal danke an alle, die uns unterstützen. Ähm, da ist äh, zu erwähnen der JD für das Intro. Da ist Kevin McLeod für, das, für den Song äh, Surf Jimmy, den er zur Verfügung gestellt hat. Und da wollen wir natürlich einmal allen Hörern danken und auch vor allem denen, die uns so viel positives Feedback gegeben haben. Ähm, das bedeutet uns viel und wir freuen uns darüber. Wir, wir freuen uns über auch konstruktives Feedback, äh, wo wir besser werden können, weil am Ende des Tages werden wir wollen wir jeden Tag besser werden beim Sport, aber eben auch hier. Ja, richtig. Und ich glaube, es bleibt uns nicht viel übrig, als äh, ja, nochmal vielen Dank an Matt Keplinger zu sagen. Euch äh, eine schöne Woche und bis zum nächsten Mal. Genau, bis dahin. Ciao. Ciao.